Hello, welcome to Wake the Bride podcast. My name is Luke Beats. In Romans thirteen eleven through 12, the Apostle Paul states that knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It is my goal to help stir a sleeping church and motivate weary believers by looking at current events, Bible prophecy, and apologetics. Hopefully, by the end of each episode, we can better see as did Jesus in John 4.35 when he said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I'd like to look in this, our first episode, at why study Bible prophecy. A lot of people and a lot of churches avoid the topic. Um, some say it's too controversial. Some say uh, it'll scare people. Some look at it and say, well, I really don't understand it enough. Others just don't see the importance. Um, I'd like to give us a few reasons as to why um, studying Bible prophecy can be a very profitable thing. First, I want to look at the fact that it is and can be a great comfort to the believer. Um, you're going to notice first uh, that the Bible tells us um, that it is a comfort to a believer to understand that even though the world at times seems out of control, still God is in control of all things and God works all things to his desired end. You're going to notice this first in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20 um, uh, where God tells us there, but uh, through Joseph, where Joseph, I'll give you a little background, Joseph is standing before his brothers um, and they, at this point, their father has died and they think Joseph is going to, he's going to retaliate now that his father is, has died. He can retaliate against them for what they've done. But Joseph looks at it and he says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, also, if you'll look in First um, Thessalonians chapter four, verse eighteen, the Bible speaks there and says, "Wherefore comfort one another with these words." Very prophetic text uh, there in First Thessalonians chapter four. You'll also notice in Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, uh, Jesus speaking there. He makes this statement in regard to Bible prophecy. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So we can see in each one of these passages that we are encouraged that Bible prophecy, that the thing that is prophesied, the, the events that are foretold, God uses these, and by our knowledge that God can foretell what is to come by, by Bible prophecy, by the reliability of Bible prophecy, we can see the fact that it is a comfort. It is comforting when things around us are going wrong, whenever the world seems to be out of kilter, and whenever things seem to be falling apart on every side, to be able to look at the Bible and not to look at the Bible and hold the newspaper beside it and say, how can I fit this together? But to understand that God is in control, that God has all things 
under his control. To understand that fact, that God who holds your soul and who you have trusted with your eternal salvation at the same time holds all things in his hand. And by Bible prophecy, I can have great comfort. Let me move on real quick. Um, I also want us to notice that Bible prophecy is not just is it a great comfort. It's also a great faith builder. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, we as Christians, we don't have a faith that has no support or no grounding in truth. That That's not what we have as faith. Sometimes people look at Christianity and say it's a blind leap into the darkness. But that's not what we have. Rather, God gives us as much evidence of the truthfulness of Christ, so much so, especially in Bible prophecy, that it is, in my opinion, irrefutable. It is a great faith builder to understand that God, who says to us, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but God gives us Bible prophecy as a proof and evidence of his foreknowledge, of his, uh, of his deity. Isaiah chapter 46, verse number 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now, you see that God hinges his deity, his actual deity apart from all others on the fact that he says, I can tell you from the very beginning, from the most ancient of times, I can tell you what isn't done. And because I am God, my counsel will stand. Let me give you another one. Um, Isaiah chapter 41, uh, the Bible says there, produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and shew us what shall happen. Let them shew the former things what they shall be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Declare us things to come. And you see, God at this point, he is, he is putting down the gauntlet and he speaks as the king of Jacob, as the Lord. And he makes a statement and he says... Uh, he talks to the fact that he throws the gauntlet down to all the idols of the nations. When he makes a statement, he says, let them bring forth and show us or show us what will happen. Show us what's coming in the future. Declare at the end of the verse, it says, the things that are to come. Because God is, show, is saying, he's making the point, I am God. I can tell you what's coming. You can have faith and trust in me. Let me give you one more. Um, Isaiah 44, verse 7, and there the prophet Isaiah speaking for the Lord and the Lord speaking through him says, And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them shew unto them. Now, again, I know these are all uh, Isaiah 46, 41, 44 they all really have that same message that God points at Israel. Then he points at all the other false gods around and he makes the fact known. I am God 
and I prove this and I show this and I give as evidence and you can have faith in me because I can tell you what's coming and there's no question. You're going to notice in 44 and 7 he said, and shall come. Uh, You're going to see in uh, verse 22 of Isaiah 41, declare us things for to come. Uh, in verse chapter 46 and verse 10, my counsel shall stand. God uses Bible prophecy and the fact of the, and the fact that he can foretell the future and he points at Israel and says, by this, you're going to know that I am God. By this, you can have confidence in that. So Bible prophecy is a great, great faith builder. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, let me give you a couple of examples real quick of what I mean by Bible prophecy. Um, of things that you can look at because it's one thing to say, oh, well, God uh, said that Bible prophecy would build our faith. He said it would be a comfort, but I don't really, I don't know of any Bible prophecy to really say, hey, by this I can, I can know that God has done things. I mean, what do you mean by Bible prophecy? Let me give you a couple of examples real quick. Um, <clears throat> Mainly, I'm going to use two types of examples. First, I'm going to deal with those that deal with the modern nation of Israel. Um, now, I know some would say Israel doesn't exist anymore, that, that that's, God is done with that people, but I would disagree. Um, let me show you a very interesting scripture in Isaiah 11 and verse 11. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall come, which shall, I'm sorry, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. But if you back up, I don't know if you caught, this is something that I did not notice the first time I read this passage. Um, I've since read the passage many, many times from the first time I read it. But this, if you catch what he says here, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. So this isn't speaking of whenever God brings Israel back from their captivity uh, under Babylonian and Persian rule. This is speaking of a second time that Israel would be scattered all over the world. Now, when did that happen? That's speaking of A.D. 70, when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. They came in and dispersed the people of Israel. And yet God says, the second time I will recover them. Now, he lists nation after nation, Assyria, Egypt. He, he mentions Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He, he mentions all of these places signifying they will be everywhere, scattered all over the world. But God said, I will recover them the second time. Let me show you another one where it prophesies the restoration of the nation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse number 8. The Bible says there, After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is bought, that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel which have been always waste but is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely all of them. You're going to notice it talks about the latter years. It's a land that's brought back from the sword. It's gathered out of many people. 
And how do we know it's Israel? Well, listen, against the mountains of Israel. This is clearly speaking of the fact that the day would come that though Israel was scattered everywhere, they would be brought back. It would be in the latter years. Let me give you one last one because some would say, well, that's all past. That I just I just don't know if I believe that. I think God is done with Israel. Well, let me look. Let me challenge that. Um, look at Romans chapter eleven, verse number twenty-five. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul uh, here speaking, he says, "For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until." The fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, Paul right here, I, I don't see any way around this. Paul clearly states that, yes, there would be blindness to Israel. Yes, there would be bad things that happened to Israel. But he doesn't see this as a permanent thing. He doesn't see this as a permanent state of being. In fact, he says that blindness in part has happened to Israel and there's that key word there, until, not permanent, not always, but until the fullness of the Gentiles become it. Jesus speaks of this also whenever he speaks of the fact that the city of Jerusalem be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles become, until that time of the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, let me be a little more specific on this. The prophecies relating to the regathering of Israel, they, they are numerous and they are detailed. And they are very specific in what they say will happen. Now, I'm not going to go into every one of them. That would take way too long. and We don't have time for that. Um, but let me give you just a few, maybe four real quick of things that are specifically said to happen of Israel being regathered. First, you're gonna. I want you to look at the fact that Bi the Bible prophesies, God foretells that they would return to the land. Now, we already looked at two of the scriptures. I want to, but again in Isaiah eleven eleven, I want to remind you that He said that He would set His hand the second time to recover the remnant of His people. He was going to bring them back. He was going to start pull, bringing up pulling. He was uh, going to start drawing them back. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. That was in Isaiah 11, 11. Again, it says the second time. Um, Ezekiel 38 and 8, we already read it. But again, here it speaks of the fact, again, that God would visit them in the latter years. Not just real soon, not, not, not early on after 70 A.D., not, not even before 70 A.D., before the um, birth uh, of Christ. Remember, Peter speaks about uh, in Acts chapter 2 and quotes that prophecy of Joel where Joel says in the last days. So this would be, this would have to, when it talks about latter years, this would have to be after the birth and death of Christ in that time period to where from Pentecost to today that the church has looked at as the latter years, the last days. It would have to fit in that somewhere. And they were scattered, as we said, in um, AD 70. So to fit 
the scriptural context of what God is saying, this would have to be referring to after the scattering of Rome, of Rome scattering the Jews, I should say. Um, and it talks about the fact that the, a land that would be brought back from the sword, a people that is gathered again out of, out of, brought forth out of the nations, that they would return and they would dwell in safety. Now, you say, well, that's nice, but how, how does that have anything to do with Israel? Well, remember, on May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency, proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel. U.S. President Harry S. Truman recognized the new nation on the same day. Um, in 1948, the population of Jews in Israel was about 608,000, but in this year, the year 2020, the population of Jews in Israel has grown to over 6.8 million. This perfectly fulfills what God has said, that he would restore the land of Israel to his people, to his covenant people, that he would restore, he would a second time gather Israel. In. Now, from Bible prophecy, I can look at this. And I can say what God said he would do, he has done. And that is a great faith builder. How is it that the only nation that has been dispersed over the entire world lost its, lost its homeland, lost its form of government, lost its language, lost all of these things, that somehow only one nation has held on to its customs, has held on to its beliefs, has held on uh, to... to to the writings and the scriptures um, and to their rabbinic beliefs. And though for nearly 2,000 years, they held on. And only one nation has ever been brought back. And it just so happens to be the nation of Israel that God prophesied, I will bring you back. That is a great faith builder. But let me, let me get a little bit more specific because, well, they returned to the land. Ah, that, that's nice, but give me a little more. Look at what the Bible talks about. You'll notice uh, we read uh, in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 8, and it talks about the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste. Um, whenever Mark Twain went and visited the land of Israel in the late 1800s, he uh, wrote about it and made a statement that it was nothing but rocks. He didn't see people. It was a land of desert, rocks, swamp, and mosquitoes. It was a wasteland. And why anyone would want it, he didn't know. Um, but look at what is prophesied in Ezekiel 36, verse 34 and 35. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Isaiah 51 verse 3 The Lord shall comfort Zion He will comfort all her waste places And he will make her wilderness like Eden And her desert like the garden of the Lord Joy and gladness shall be found therein Thanksgiving in the voice of melody Now remember Mark Twain said that it was a wasteland Which is what God said would happen to the land of Israel While Israel was gone While they were in dispersion While they were dispersed all over the world That it would be a wasteland A wilderness but he speaks of the fact that the day would come 
that it would be restored to near the garden, to be like unto the garden of the Lord, to be like Eden. It would be so, it would produce so much. It would be so fruitful. I want you to notice in uh, 2017, this land that had at one time been waste, 2.3% of the country's GDP was derived from agriculture of a total labor force of 2.7 million people. 2.6% were employed in agricultural production, while 6.3% in services for agriculture. While Israel imports substantial, had uh, during that year, quantities of grain, approximately 80% of local consumption, it is largely self-sufficient in other agricultural products and foodstuffs. For centuries, farms in the region have grown varieties of citrus fruits, such as grapefruit, Oranges, lemons, um, and citrus fruits are still Israel's major agricultural export. In addition, Israel is one of the world's leading greenhouse food export countries. Wait a minute. For years and centuries, they had been a waste and a desolate wilderness. I mean, just swamp and rocks and desert. But now Israel is one of the world's, we read, leading greenhouse food exporting countries. The country exports more than $1.3 billion worth of agricultural products every year, <clears throat> including farm products, as well as $1.2 billion worth of agricultural inputs and technology. The country that at one time was a wasteland, God said, I will make it flourish like the Garden of Eden, and it has. Israel was brought back. Their land is budding. It is blossoming. It is bringing forth fruit. It is is exporting fruit, flowers, and it is like the Garden of Eden. It is being restored. Am I saying there's no desert there? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying a land that was considered waste and useless is producing and bringing forth, just as God said. Um, Let me give you another one real quick. Not only is the land of Israel going to be restored to the Jewish people, not only did God say it would be like a garden, but there are also some signs that, I mean, they're not always the most comfortable, but that's not what Bible prophecy is for. It's not always, God doesn't always say everything's going to be wonderful and rosy, but because God foretells what's going to happen, the disciples weren't excited. In fact, Peter looked at Jesus and said, Far be it from you to suffer these things. And Jesus told him he was going to be betrayed and crucified. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. But Jesus says, after he rebukes Peter, he tells them, I've told you this <clears throat> beforehand so that when it happens, you'll know that I really am who I said. So, just because something seems negative does not mean that we can't draw comfort from knowing that God foretold us so we would be prepared. Um, so the third uh, thing that God says would happen with the restoration of Israel, the land, the land of Israel, it would be contested and fought over. Uh, Zechariah 12 and 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people that burden themselves with it. 
shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. From its very inception, the modern Jewish state has been fought and attacked by its neighbors. Now, we could go all the way to the very beginning of Israel, of the modern state of Israel up to the present, and you could see conflict after conflict after conflict. But I do want to look at the very beginning of Israel, and then just about two others after that. Um, <clears throat> but look real quick. Uh, in 1947 through 1949, in that time period, mainly or in 1948 when hostilities really became strong, um, it was uh, the British mandate had come to an end for Palestine at midnight on uh, May 14, 1948. The Israeli Declaration of Independence had just been issued earlier that day. And on that day, right at the ending of that day, the morning of May 15th, a coalition of Arab states entered into the land, uh, the territory of British, what was then known as British Palestine, but what on the 15th of May had been declared as the land of Israel. They entered in and tried to squash this brand new nation, which God had foretold and said was going to happen. God had said he was going to make the land of Israel, especially the city of Jerusalem. He was going to make it a cup of trembling, a place of war. It would be they, the enemy, um, uh, the enemies of Israel, I should say, would fight against what had happened. And that's what we see. The very next day, Israel is invaded. Um, let me skip forward to June of 1967. You have the Six-Day War. It was fought between Israel and um, her Arab neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. The nations of Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Algeria, and others also contributed troops and arms to the Arab forces. <clears throat> Following the war, the territory held by Israel had expanded significantly. They had uh, taken in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem uh, from Jordan, the Golan Heights from Syria, Sinai and Gaza from Egypt. But again, you see that what God prophesied, that it would be contested and fought, his bringing them back is fulfilled again. Let me give you one last one, the Yom Kippur War of October 1973. Um, is fought from uh, October the 6th to the 26th of October 1973 uh, by a coalition of Arab states led by Egypt and Syria against Israel as a way of recapturing part of the territories which they had lost to Israel back in the Six-Day War. Uh, the war began with a surprise joint attack by Egypt and Syria on the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. Egypt and Syria crossed the ceasefire lines in the Sinai and Golan Heights, respectively. Eventually, the Arab forces were defeated by Israel, and there were no significant territorial changes. Like I said, you could bring these all the way up to our present day um, in the constant rockets that are fired in uh, by Hamas into the land of Israel. But, but the fact that we bring these up is simply to illustrate that what God said would happen, whether it be Israel being brought back into the land, the land blooming and blossoming again, the land being fought over, all of these things have happened. Let me give you one that's real specific. Um, as we said, when Israel was dispersed, they lost their homeland, they lost their national language, they lost their national identity to an extent. 
um, in the sense of their their governmental stat, state, their uh, um, their temple, their things like that. But I want you to notice in Zephaniah chapter three verse nine. I know some of these. Some say, "Woo, we haven't been to these passages in a long time." But Zephaniah chapter three verse nine. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. But you notice what he said there. He was going to turn or bring to the people, bring back to the people a pure language. Many feel, and I would agree, many prophecy experts feel, I would agree with this, that this is a prophecy of the restoration of the Hebrew language as a spoken language. I want to quote from an article from the Jerusalem Post from January 3rd, 2016. Um, the article states that in the late 19th century, when Zionist leader Theodore Herzl saw the prophetic vision of the Jewish people returning to the land of Israel, he saw the revival revival of Hebrew as a language as not only impossible but impractical, a language that was struck in lin- stuck in linguistic terms from 2,000 years ago could not describe all the changes in the, that the Industrial Revolution was bringing. They would speak German, he argued, the language of modernization. But other Zionists disagreed. How can a nation be considered a nation if it does not have its own language? Instead of setting back a group of individuals led by the highly motivated Eleazar ben Yehuda made, <clears throat> made it their goal <clears throat> to help bring back or to bring about, I should say, the prophetic redemption and turn Hebrew into the everyday language of the land of Israel. They encountered resistance from all sides. The ultra-Orthodox said Hebrew was a holy language reserved for holy purposes only. The secular said there is no need to speak an out-of-date language, and others were just plain skeptical. But Ben Yehuda and the determined language pioneers did not relent. They used words from the Bible, the Talmud, and the rabbinical literature in order to create and innovate new terms from the, for the modern world. A classic example is the word electricity. In Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew speaker, but I'm going to try and say this. Uh, in Hebrew, hashmal, which describes the color of amber out of the mist of fire from Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 14. They use that word and translate, not translate, I guess you would say that they used that word and brought it forward into modernity. And used it for the word electricity. They had to use this for. They had to do this for many, many words because the language hadn't been spoken as an everyday language for over two thousand years. Um, finally, in nineteen twenty-one, the British government recognized three official languages for mandatory for, for mandatory Palestine. Um, they had English, Arabic, and Hebrew. Today, Hebrew continues to be the official language of Israel, alongside Arab, Arabic, and the Open. <clears throat> sorry, and the government gives. Uh, I was getting way ahead in the article, and the government gives new immigrants, all new immigrants, the opportunity to study for free six months in a Hebrew intensive. And here's what I said earlier: Open to help them improve their language skills upon arrival. National Hebrew Day falls every year on the 21st day of the Hebrew month of Tevet, Eliezer ben Yehuda's birthday. 
So what God prophesied in specifics, even down to the restoration of the language, happened. Um, let me give you um, one more illustration. This one doesn't do with the land of Israel, but it does with a very specific prophecy that had been mocked for, thousands, for hundreds of years. Not thousands, hundreds of years. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, we're told, uh, speaking of the two witnesses, it says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord also was crucified. And they of the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth for hundreds of years people looked at this and said how can everyone on earth see the same event at the same time how can they send gifts to each other within a three-day time period how is this possible well to all of us who live today if you've got a cell phone, if you have any connection to the internet, it is of the greatest ease to understand how this happens. Anything that happens of note in the world can be seen by everyone all over the world with no problem whatsoever. And who even thinks to laugh in this time of Amazon, uh, Amazon orders that you could send gifts from one side of the world ordered on one part of the world and have it shipped to another and get it in three days that's normal for us things that were prophesied that many for years said makes no sense god said i know the future and because of this because we see the accuracy of what god prophesied and we see the carrying out of it we can have great faith um let me give you my last uh last last couple points real quick um, as to why we should study Bible prophecy. Lastly, you're, um, you're going to notice that to study it makes no sense. I mean, Jesus, when he was on earth, one of the things he, uh, I guess, faulted, you would say, the religious leaders of his day so much for was the fact that they did not know their own Bible prophecy. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 2, he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. Uh, and in the morning it shall be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. Um, in another episode, we'll get into what, exactly what all he was talking about and why he said they were foolish. Because really, if you look in the book of Daniel, they should have known that this was the exact time he was supposed to be there. I mean, you can look in Daniel and you can even, and we'll get into this on a different uh, episode when we have a little more time to, but you can see that it was foretold to the very day that he would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. Um, Jesus tells them, you have this prophecy. You should know. He faults them for not knowing Bible prophecy. Um, and I think with us today, in our generation, where we are, we bring needless fear and worry on ourselves as Christians if we do not take the time to study Bible prophecy. 
the last thing that, that I want to point out is really quickly, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those sayings which are written therein, for the time is at hand. But he specifically says that the reading of Bible prophecies, talking about the book of Revelation, the reading and seeking to understand these prophecies, the words of these prophecies, would bring a blessing to the reader. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, but I do hope that the things that we have spoken of, that the things that we have looked at, I hope that in some way they, they bring us to understand the importance of Bible prophecy. And in light of the things that we have seen today, let's go out and do as Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us wake up and go out to win a lost world for our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Goodbye.